Welcome to Season 2 of IVF Tales. I'm your host, Simone. This podcast was created with the intention of making the world of infertility a little less lonely. Each episode will have a new guest share their IVF journey, sharing some of the most courageous, surprising, intimate and saddest moments of their lives. It's real and raw, it's IVF Tales. Hey everyone, next up on the show is Lynette, an IVF warrior who was the co-creator of Not Another Bad Egg, a blog sharing stories of infertility and pregnancy loss. If you haven't already joined the movement, jump onto Instagram and follow along. So welcome, Lynette. Hi, Simone. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Very welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say it's so important to be having these conversations. So I feel really grateful to to be on here and giving a snippet of my, I guess, journey, as they say, so far. Um, So I'm Lynette. I live in Sydney, Um, newly married Feb this year. So um, we were one of the COVID um, wedding people that got, got delayed a few times. So finally got that done February this year in Tassie, which was amazing. Um, and my husband and I have been uh, together for about over five years and on our infertility journey for over three years now. So stuck right in the middle of this crazy roller coaster. Um, but just as a snapshot, um, you know, we back in 2000, end of 2017, early 2018, I decided to get off the pill. So from a very young age, I think I was about 15, the doctors put me on the pill because I had irregular periods back then and they thought I had PCOS. So instead of, I guess, investigating, put me on the pill and for 15 years I was on the pill. So knew it was going to take a little bit of time for my body to readjust and kind of in the back of my mind, always knew I might have a little bit of problems, you know, trying to conceive, but never imagined it'd be the roller coaster that it has been. So from there, getting off the pill, um, it took me about a year to get my period. So that was obviously, you know, a huge delay in the process of when we thought we could just get started. Um, so at first I started to see a naturopath. I didn't want to seek any medical, you know, proper medical advice or anything. I just thought I'd go to a naturopath, see, you know, if, if they had any advice on changing my lifestyle because I knew PCOS with lifestyle and diet, a lot a lot could be corrected. So did that for about six months. Um, I'd also in my early 20s developed a really bloated kind of IBS gut. So wanted her to help me with that I'd I'd had colonoscopy before and stuff like that and nothing ever came up unusual so I just thought it was you know food intolerances or something but I was never really diagnosed um anyway she was helping me with my gut and then trying to get my period back so after six months of seeing her finally got a period again um it was very irregular like before before the pill so um, managed that as best we could. And after about six months of trying, she's like, well, no, you know, with the age and any symptoms and stuff like that, I'm going to refer you on to a facility specialist. Um, so got stuck into the facility specialist journey. Um, so a lot, a lot of tests. We did everything under the sun. 
the hycosi, which I still have nightmares about. That was extremely painful for me. Um, oh, I have heard bad stories about that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I I just was not prepared for the pain I went mm. through. Um, so hopefully, you know, yeah, uh, other women don't experience, you know, too much pain, but I have heard the same. And I know Emma, um, you mentioned not in a bad egg, um, not another bad egg, sorry. Emma also had lots of pain with her. She's a co Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very, very painful. All of our tests always came back fine. So it was, everything was fine. I was fine. My uterus was, you know, healthy. Everything was just amazing. Yep. My husband's tests were fine. So, um, based on my PCOS, AMH levels and everything like that, um, my fertility specialist recommended to try letrozole. So that is when they, um, because you've got PCOS, they don't know, A, if you're ovulating or when you're ovulating. So the letrozole is a drug that you take and they monitor you throughout your cycle with bloods and ultrasounds and they can pinpoint the exact time when you ovulate so they can tell you when to have sex. Mm-hmm. So um, we did that for about five rounds with nothing. Oh, and wow. during, yeah, no, nothing. So I've heard, you know, I, I joined every fertility forum out there, you know, to see successes with letrozole and some women works first go second go third go yeah because you'd think if at this stage you only had the PCOS diagnosis you'd think Mm -hmm. a drug like that and having the timed intercourse you think you'd be you know good to go yeah yeah especially with having all of our tests yeah perfectly fine his side my side everything Mm. um so that was you know, pretty depressing every month getting a call. But and you do those back to back, like month after month after month. Are you on yes. that drug? Yeah, yeah, oh month after God. month after month. Yep. Um, and on letrozole, my period was pretty regular, so it became, mm-hmm. became every thirty to thirty-three days. So they were yep. happy with that. And every time they did my monitoring, they confirmed ovulation, so there was no issues with ovulation. Um. Yeah, the drugs, side effects I got were headaches, bloating, um, you know, my moods were, I could be laughing, you know, with something really funny and then cry in in a drop of a hat kind of thing mm-hmm. or, you know, be the Hulk at a drop of a hat. Um, yeah, my husband really loves all the um, the journeys of the emotions with all the drugs you've had to t- I've had to take throughout um my my fertility journey that's okay um so yeah after five or six oh yeah between those though everything was fine but I I did have probably two periods where I my husband thought once he had to take me to hospital like he thought he would have had to take me to hospital I was just in so much pain I was lying on the ground I was vomiting from both ends Oh my god! Yeah, so much pain that happened twice. So naturally, with my age and my history and everything like that, also with the bloating, my and the painful periods, um, my fertility specialist um, recommended a laparoscope. So mm-hmm. to, to test for for endo. So um, I went. She recommended a specialist. The the person that I went with is quite aggressive in his approach. So usually. Um, they go in keyhole surgery. If they see, visibly see some endo, they'll cut it out. 
If not, they'll just take a little sample and then do the biopsy. And then if they see it, they have to go back in. Mm-hmm. His kind of ethos is, you know, he's done it for over 30 years, 99.9% of the time when he's done that, there's always endo there. So when he's in there, he just takes a whole bunch of clean, cleans up all the areas where it could be and then biopsies it and, and works out 99.9% of the time you had it and he's taken it out already so you don't have to go back in. So um, he did that and the recovery was about three weeks. I was pretty battered. I couldn't really walk very far, super bloated, like the incisions and stuff were quite painful, um, but it turned out I had stage two to three endometriosis. It was in seven different areas. That wow. Yeah, so that was a relief because I had some answers probably about my gut issues, my bloating and, mm-hmm. and, and then potentially maybe reasons for why implantation wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So we were happy with that outcome. So then my fertility specialist was like, look, let's just not jump into IVF. Let's just get you back on letrozole and see what happens. And they normally say after a laparoscope, it's quite common for people to fall pregnant. Um, We ended up falling pregnant on the second go after letrozole. So that was amazing. Mm -hmm. The phone call, you know, I'd spoken to these nurses you know, nearly 10 times already with them having to say, oh, sorry, you know, you're not pregnant. Yeah. Then get a phone call and say, oh, my God, like, congratulations, you are. And then so that was amazing. We had really good HS, HCG levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did two tests and then you kind of wait for your first seven-week scan. So, you know, didn't tell anyone, um, just were being really cautious weeks I didn't really have symptoms I was really really hungry and then boobs were swollen and stuff but they'd already been really swollen from from all the drugs I take anyway Mm -hmm. um, because they actually had me on Clexane which is um, like a blood thinner needle which again if if anyone out there's had them they're super painful for me Um, it's like the the needle is blunt and whatever you're squeezing into your body is like burning your insides so yeah I, I was I was on Clexane for many cycles plus um a couple of pregnancies until 12 weeks so I know exactly what you're talking about yeah it's not, yeah. yeah it's not it's a just, fun drug to take daily no no uh, it's yeah I've got bruises all over me and mm. every time seems like harder than the next but yeah it's okay as long as it's doing its job mm-hmm. um yeah, so had that, um, everything seemed fine. So, you know, we got into the whole mode of, you know, thinking about baby name. Well, we'd already thought about baby names, but like confirming which baby names, you know, buying a few little bits and pieces here and there, buying baby books. Yeah, um, planning you know, a future. Yeah, planning a yeah. future and completely not thinking of any roadblocks we might get along the way. It was just like living the dream instantly. Yeah. So going to the first scan, um, the seven-week scan, none the wiser, you know, getting there, really happy, you know, you see it on Instagram and Facebook all the time, you know, the, the image of a baby and, you know, little you can hear the heartbeat and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, devastated when she obviously opens her mouth and you know something's wrong. 
So mm. that was a seven-week skin and they couldn't find a heartbeat. Mm. And, yeah, it was measuring a little bit lower. So the sonographer called someone else in, you know, they tried to find like, okay, um, we're not ruling it out so far. You might just be a little bit behind. So that could be a reason why we can't, you know, hear or see a heartbeat. You're just going to have to come back in two weeks. So obviously oh. after how many two-week waits I know. Like, you already have, that two-week week wait was like the worst two-week wait of my life. Yeah, that grey limbo area. Yeah. Oh. Like every twinge, every feel, you're just like, is it, is it not? Like yep. what's happened inside me? Um, yeah, so you lose lot, you lose hope very, very quickly mm-hmm. um, and so much fear and doubt just overwhelms no matter how positive I tried to stay in my mind, no, no matter how positive my husband was to try and get me in good spirits. It was always kind of doom and gloom and each yeah. day felt like I'd been waiting a week. So it just felt so long to have to wait. Um, so then had the scan the second, um, you know, the fortnight after. And again, as soon as, you know, she's going to, the sonographer was going to open her mouth, I knew it was just not right. So they confirmed um, that it was a blighten ovum. So, yeah. yeah. So that was super sad. And then. Yeah, um, that sucks. Yeah, it was oh, devastating. We weren't really bad. prepared for it. And we're just so naive, like, you know, I'd never had a miscarriage before and didn't really think it was a possibility. Like once I got the phone call to say, yeah, let's go. Like it was like, yeah, let's go. We've got this. Um, yeah. So I think he would have been hopeful as well, like after being on the letrozole because of the PCOS and then having your laparoscopy to clear your endo. Like you would have been thinking, yep, this surely has got to be a positive outcome. Like you've ticked mm. those boxes. What else could possibly go wrong? Like, oh, that just sucks. Yeah. So then I was faced with the So once that happened, it was like, okay, we'll get off the drugs. So get off mm-hmm. the caffeine and pessaries. Yep. And then you need to work out how you want to miscarry. Oh. Yeah, so I was like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? So, so you're having this conversation with your fertility specialist or yeah, someone else? Fertility specialist. Okay. So she gave me some options mm. and it was um, – first it was a public public DNC um, or the medication mm-hmm. or you can let it – give it a week – if you and you might miscarry naturally, but if it's more than a week, she recommends just go into either the DNC or medication. They didn't want it to like wait around too long, just in case there was an infection or or some, or some other complication. Yeah. So I, you know, I went through again every pregnancy forum out there to see benefits of DNC or the medication. I worked out like tried to work out the process of you know how you even do that in the public sector and a lot of people were like well you literally have to go to the ward where like there's pregnant people everywhere and you have to sit there and they triage you Mm, yeah and I was like there's no way I'm doing that so I called up a few people that I knew that either had had miscarriages or knew people of just to get their experience and the Mm. overwhelming kind of feedback was not to do the medication because a lot of them were in so much pain and bleeding like it was horrific and then um, 
another friend who actually goes to the same fertility specialist was like, oh, she actually got her DNC done privately through her fertility specialist. It obviously costs money, but um, the day surgery that they have in the office is beautiful. You just go in, they do it and see you later. So I called my fertility specialist and she said, she said that, yeah, she can do it. She could book me in, I think, for two days, in the next two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll do that because at least, you know, I don't have to wait around and be triaged with, like, crying babies and pregnant women all around me. I can just go in there and do it and it'll be done. So glad I took that decision but um, ended up discovering when they did the DNC um, – when they did some testing after, I think it was through ultrasound, they found that there was like 0.2 millimetres left of product. So I was like, what do you mean? Like I can't even, I can't have a, first I can't even have carry a baby successfully. Now I can't even get rid of a baby, like get rid of the product successfully. So it was just like this painfully long process. Yeah, it was just drawn out. Like. Yeah, I was already at peace with, you know, it's not right, you know, just not the right time and everything like that. You know, things happen for a reason. Um, And then I just couldn't forget about it because I I had to go back. um, Thankfully, I didn't have to go back in, actually. They gave me drugs to force on a really big bleed. Mm -hmm. And then that ended up working. And when they did more ultrasounds, they were happy that, like, the the amount left was, like, 0.0. Oh, 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 one or something of a millimeter and they're like no nah, it's going to come out so that's fine you don't have to go back in if they weren't happy with it I would have had to go back in and they would have had to scrape it out oh god yeah so that was quite traumatic um and then also when when they they did the DNC my fertility specialist um, sent some away for testing just to see if you know there was any chromosomal uh, uh, um I can't say that word. Abnormalities. Yes. Yeah. Um, we've, we've, they call it the product that's in there. So oh, I hate that. Yeah. I hate that term. We use it as midwives as well and I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty bad. Um, and then it turns out actually, no, there was nothing. She said it was a, a healthy male. Mm. So that was also quite you know, hard to hear weeks later. That, yeah, to um, hear the gender. Yeah, yeah, to hear what, the gender. Yeah. And and he was actually really healthy. And yeah, you know, at a healthy stage. So that was quite devastating. Um, but did that and then came to peace. It took me a little while because my periods were so out of whack again with mm-hmm. PCOS, and then with the having to have the really heavy bleed and you know getting rid of the endo and that laparoscope. It mm-hmm. took a little while. So forever waiting um but then we could get back onto letrozole so after that she said okay you've got three more tries mm-hmm. once that's done I think you know it's time we move on to IVF so did two nothing the third one we ended up getting you know pregnant I was like oh you know I'll it's that story, you know, the last time, you know, the last time before we try IVF, you know, it's hooray, we, we fall pregnant and mm-hmm. it's amazing we have a baby. So ended up the last time, the last time we we're ever going to try letrozole, we fall pregnant. That one was a little bit more of a fast kind of turnaround. So the HCG levels were quite low this time. So from the start, they were monitoring a lot closer. So my progesterone and... Um, 
HAG levels were low and then the next time they measured, which is maybe like three days after, had more bloods, they had gone up but they weren't doing that doubling, doubling mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. They were still increasing, so like, okay, let's go back again. So did more bloods. Again, it increased and the progesterone was still increasing. So they're like, okay, well, it's still not kind of doubling. We'll give it another go. And then the fourth test, the fourth blood test, it went backwards. Mm. So it was a, it was an early, they would say an early miscarriage, I guess. Um, but I ended up, when, when they saw the fourth test of the numbers going down, they said, okay, we'll just get off the medication and you'll probably get your period in a week. Oh, um, God. Yeah, and that happened. So, again, a bit devastating and mm-hmm. thought it was, you know, yes, you know, we don't have to spend more time and money, you know, going through IVF. Let's, you know, this is our, our turn. So that was, again, a bit de- devastating, but that's okay. We got straight into – so after that happened – did bloods, they said, no, your baseline, let's just get you started. If you want to start IVF, let's just start IVF. So did all the preparation for that. I was on Gonal um, and they were monitoring me quite closely because of PCOS I have a lot of follicle count. Mm-hmm. So they were quite worried about, um, you know, how many follicles were going to be there and then that overstimulation. So they were monitoring me quite close with the drugs Um so every time I went in for monitoring, you know, I think before egg collection I had about 43 follicles in each ovary or something. Yeah, crazy. wow. Each so, ovary, 43 yeah, in each. Yeah. Whoa. I was like super bloated. Yeah. Super bloated. Um, and I always at the back of my mind knew like, great, I've got all these eggs, but it's like quality over quantity. Mm. So yep. I, I was really scared about what my actual final number would be for egg collection mm-hmm. and, you know, taking all the drugs so many times, poking myself in the belly like a thousand times. I just really wanted this first one to work, this first egg collection, I guess, process. Yep. So um, did that. Everything was looking great. They're like, give you the trigger or whatever. And the day before you go in for egg collection, I just remember the lady called me and she gave me like literally 10 things to do, like oh. so many things I had to remember, like I had to take a COVID test and I had to do a trigger and then I had to take like my temperature and then do this kind of medication and do another trigger and then in the oh. morning do a consent and do this. I was like, wow, like does my husband need to do anything? She's like, oh, <laughs> he, ha- he has to abstain from um, sexual intercourse for the next three days and then wank in a, like pretty much wank in a cup. I was like, yeah. Great, thanks. That's lucky for him. They get the easy part. Yeah. Yeah. So um <laughs> that was funny. He was yeah, felt very, you know, pressured for his part of the the bargain. But mm-hmm. um got through that. Sorry, that's my cat if you can hear Reggie. That's okay. Um, We've had a few cats on this show. It's okay. <laughs> yes, he's wanting some attention or food. Um, <laughs> oh good. Moment. But um he's very vocal. Yeah, so did a collection um and my, I think they ended up getting 19, the first stage, and mm-hmm. then it went to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh, it, well, yeah, so 19 and then 10 went to day five. And because of my history of miscarriage, um, we opted to get genetic testing for the egg. So mm-hmm. 
very expensive. Yes. But, but so you us, did all 10. Uh, we ended well, they so out of that 10, they sent, they ended up assessing that um, eight, oh no, sorry, seven could get genetically tested and then mm-hmm. one wasn't eligible to be tested, but it was still going to be frozen. Okay. So out of the 10, yeah, it fell down again. So we sent seven for genetic testing and then mm-hmm. one was just frozen immediately. So um, with our fertility specialists, they cap it at five, mm-hmm. but it, it is like $900 an egg or something ridiculous. And yeah, it's not cheap. But for us, we definitely wanted that peace of mind um, and, yeah, didn't want to have to think about, you know, what if there was, you know, what if we felt pregnant and, and there was uh, an issue. So ended up doing that and then out of this, the ones that they sent, um, seven. They got seven um, genetically tested that were they were happy with and then the one frozen. So we ended up with eight day five. Wow. Um, which was an amazing result and really, really happy about that. Yep. So you've ticked that box. Yes, ticked that box. Yep. And um, so all geared for our first transfer. So I was never going to do a um, fresh transfer because of the over- potential overstimulation. So yep. idea was always to do a frozen, start the process. So put me on the drugs. I can't remember what I was on, but put me on drugs started monitoring me and um, my lining decided that it would not grow at the speed that it would. So they were monitoring that very closely. And by the time, yeah, so my thin lining has never been an issue for me. Yeah. But for my first round of IVF, yeah, it decided that it was going to be the hurdle for me. So, um they ended up monitoring me quite closely for that and when it was time, like when my follicle was big enough where they thought, I, you know, to trigger to release, my my lining was only, it was under seven. Mm-hmm. It was like six something and my fertility specialist was like, look, some people do transfer at this but I, I just don't want to risk it and I don't want you, you know, to maybe something, you know, implantation doesn't, it's not successful and whatever I, she recommended to not go through. So after this anticlimax of waiting for so long and then, because I think that was actually two, what, maybe one month, no, yeah, one month after egg collection. So I was raring to go. Yeah, and you would have like, been feeling really good, like you had yeah. the PGS embryos ready to go. You probably yeah. would have had the lap not long ago and you would have been like feeling good and positive and then, you just get kicked down. Like that's, yeah. To, yeah. Another, another ran- and this is like a random roadblock that I haven't had before. Like a thin yeah. line. It's never been an issue. And they monitor my lining every time they do a letrozole round. So, you know, yeah. I had my, my lining monitored at least 10 times. Nothing. So I'm like, okay, this is another weird, you know, thing the universe is telling me. It's not my time. Okay, that's fine. Um, so we're like, okay, fine. But what are we going to do about it for next round? So, again jumped on every single forum to see if you know this was an issue with anyone else and if there's any natural remedies mm-hmm. my fertility specialist was like don't worry too much about natural remedies but we're oh. just gonna, yeah we're just gonna put you on gunnel and okay gunnel's supposed to like is it fhs f fsh yep 
stimulate and it will grow your lining more. But I was like, oh, I'm just going to um, – what I did is I started acupuncture once yep. a week and then I was drinking pomegranate juice every day and mm-hmm. having two Brazil nuts and yep. I was having beetroot and – you know, trying to do all the healthy grains and everything like that. and So all of the natural remedies that you had researched and been told, you actually did them anyway. Yes, yeah, I did yeah. them anyway because I was like, well, it can't hurt me. You might yeah, not exactly. it, but it's not going to hurt me. It's all healthy stuff. Yeah. And um, I found a new acupuncturist I was quite happy with, so I kind of felt that that was helping just to relax and kind of detach from, from my day when I got to go. So... Ended up doing that with the gonol. So they put me on 50 mils of gonol for like 10 days, I think. And mm-hmm. then I had to have a trigger. Um, then they started monitoring me. So usually when I ovulated in previous cycles, I was like ovulating. I think the earliest was 10 days and the latest was like 15, 16 days. Mm-hmm. Um, for this cycle, it was a very slow start. So very, very slow it was like day 18 and they were just starting to see like a follicle grow. Again, the lining was really thin. So like, okay, just keep keep doing what you're doing, keep getting monitored. And then I was seeing the acupuncturist. I was freaking out. She was trying to make me not freak out. And then on the Friday I saw her and my lining was like 4.5 nine and my follicle was like 16 or something Mm -hmm. so she's like oh maybe your follicle you know it's still got time to grow but then by the monday when i went in my lining jumped to like nine and my follicle was like 23 so it's like i had this huge growth spurt yeah yeah hormones and whatever maybe my natural stuff i was doing yeah lucky you kept going then like just gave it those few more days yeah yeah so i was like that everyone is happy, so like, okay, let's book in a transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, so super excited to be able to do that. Again, looking at like all the superstition s- stuff to do beforehand <laughs> and after. So I'd like packed. I'd, I'd been eating pineapple and pineapple cool for like three months <laughs> anyway, but packed pineapple. I was like, I'm gonna get. I didn't think there was a macas around when when we were going, so I was like, I'm gonna have some hash browns. Um, anyway, did that. Everyone that I'd talked to beforehand said it's, you know, quite painless and, you know, it's quite easy, put it in, whatever. But mine actually really hurts. So I don't know if I've got a really low pain threshold. As in to the catheter going through your cervix, is that what you felt? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or I don't know if it was the endo that I might have lingering around or something mm-hmm. but I was it was like excruciating pain for me so um I think when you've got a full bladder as well plus yeah. that I remember that feeling and I had some um embryo transfers where yeah you could literally feel um that catheter yeah. be, like threading getting thread through your cervix and then yeah, like into was, your uterus. It's oh. like such a, you can't even explain it. No, Plus yeah. like full bladder, busting to go to the toilet and you're trying to like stay still and take some deep breaths and look up at the ultrasound scan as well. And, oh, there's a lot yeah. going on. So, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I remember it being uncomfortable for most of mine, some more than others. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that was like it was super cool seeing obviously the embryologist and she showed yep. you the egg and then you can actually see in like this little line. But I was in so much pain. I was just like to my husband, take photos and I can like look later. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, yeah, so that happened um, and I'm just waiting. So I'm in that waiting phase. I'm still on the drug. So I'm on Clexane and pessaries, um, you know, trying to get off social media and google and forums because you know every twinge or everything kind of feels like something yeah I don't want to um yeah overcomplicate it at this point I just kind of want to relax so I had my transfer on a Saturday I took the Monday Tuesday off Mm -hmm. that day we just chilled in the city and had lunch and did shopping um and then kind of just chilled out told the people who have you know been really supportive with me and following my journey and, and and followed me and supported me throughout just so they know you know if it doesn't work out they're there to support me as well um but yeah just kind of waiting and praying that you know it worked and at least um you know we we're able to kind of progress I think a lot of the times you know when I've had these roller coasters there's just been so so many roadblocks thrown it's just great to be able to kind of move forward um and just wait um and then it's like you mentioned with not another bad egg it's just been great for Emma and I we're going through um you know the same kind of process together um we're meeting you know so many people through through the platform who are got similar experiences or have knowledge or or past experience they can share with us so it's just been good to be able to kind of connect um with people and try and you know break down the the stigma attached to things like this because I know before Emma and I started talking to each other about it you know we kind of knew we were both trying to conceive and didn't really divulge too much and then one day we're like why aren't we talking about this like there's nothing to be ashamed of like you know we're one of so many people experiencing what we're going through like let's just feel comfortable enough to get that support and talk about it so um it's just good being able to watch other people's journeys that we've been following for so long, kind of meet those milestones. And then when we get to meet them, we can kind of connect and, you know, share stories or get bits and pieces of advice. Um, so, yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but definitely great to be making progress. Um, some are baby steps, some are really good milestones. So, yeah, it's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah, we definitely do have a a good little online community going. I think both uh, your blog and this podcast, we definitely, I think, yeah, our audience is um, quite similar. Mm. So, yeah, no, it's, it's great that we're able to do this. As much as it sucks, like it sucks that we're talking about, you know, IVF and infertility and pregnancy loss, but it's just, social media is just so amazing and Mm. it's just such a cool way that we can just all connect and just feel part of this weird and crazy community and just know that we're not alone and we're all you know doing it together and we can support each other one way or another yeah for sure like when um when we first just posted on our personal 
accounts that we were you know starting the blog and this is what it was about an intro we got flooded with like people messaging from you know people we went to primary school with you know high school past jobs that are saying like thank you so much you know it's really hit home and I'm you know really important to have these conversations and I wish you know something like this was around when I was going through it because I you know I, I hurt so much and I just felt so alone um and you know some of these girls that were reaching out I just would never have ever imagined like when they opened up and told me their stories I just would never never would have imagined I just see you know the the glorified you know side of Insta and Facebook and what their lives are and think people have it really easy and, you know, I'm the one suffering and why is it happening to me and it's so unfair. But you just never know what other people are going through and the stats are so, you know, high of people that are going through, um, even with me, you know, one in 10 of PCOS, one in 10 of endometriosis, one in six of infertility, you know, one in eight of miscarriage. Like there's just so many people out there going through the same thing. Um, So for me, being able to speak about it openly in this forum, like, has been life-changing in my own life. Like, my close family and friends could probably say I'm, like, a closed book. I don't really talk about anything or it takes a long time for people to chip away to be able to get information from me. But this platform and, you know, connecting with others has made me a lot more open about it um, because... You know, I, I think it's really important um, for women to be having or people to be having these conversations and know that they're they're not alone and you don't have to feel ashamed or, um, you know, or scared alone. Yeah. Even for myself, I mean, uh, my story is on your blog and yes. I just remember writing it out and sending it through to you guys and I was like, oh, such an emotional release. Mm. Yeah, and I'm like, if that if someone reading that story, if it just helps one other person, be like, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to ask my fertility specialist about that, or be like, oh, that took her eight um, goes before she got pregnant. Okay, maybe it is going to happen for me. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just starting that conversation, and I know um, guests on this podcast you know, we finish up and we press, you know, we stop recording. They're like, oh, wow, just sharing that story. And then they re-listen to it again and it just, yeah, it brings it all back. So, yeah, it's so um, uh, it's so important, you know, telling stories and, and just connecting with people. And I agree with what you're saying, having, um, you know, when you share your story, people do come to you that you would not expect mm. uh, ask questions. I remember when... I was actually in the thick of doing my IVF. Um, There were people that I went to school with that I had not spoken to in years and they were like, oh, you know, I saw that you, um, you know, you're currently doing IVF or, you know, you conceive through IVF or whatever and, you know, we're having trouble too and, you know, asking questions about fertility specialists and where to start and cost and this and that. So, yeah, it's definitely just such a good way to, to start a conversation. Yeah, for sure. No, this stuff is really great. So I'm so grateful just to be able to, again, kind of go through it and know for myself how far I've come because there's, you know, definitely those dark days where I'm like, you know, why me and, and stuff like that. But when I do read, you know, stories like yourself and other of other people that have we've shared or people in this community, I, I know, you know, 
I'm okay and, I, and I'll get there. And there's so many success stories and, you know, so many things to aspire to um, through other people's journeys. So it is a lot of inspiration I get as well from, you know, hearing people's stories on, on podcasts like this mm-hmm. and then through the blog. So it's definitely motivation. Yeah, love it. Now I have a question. Do you test um, in your two-week wait or are you a good girl and do you wait until your bloods? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wait only yep. because of yep. um, the the early miscarriage I had. Yeah, I tested and it was, you know, perfect pink. Um, you know, the perfect two lines. So we're like, mm-hmm. yes, I knew it. You know, but it obviously doesn't account for how high or low your HCG levels are. That's exactly then, right. Yeah, yeah. I yep. learned very quickly that I should have waited. <laughs> yeah, each to their own. I um. I think out of all my, so out of what, nine wow. transfers, yeah. um, I think I only tested once before I got the phone call mm-hmm. um, and it was negative and I just hated it. I was like, no, nah, I should have just waited until they called me because even just that deciding to test and then doing it and then looking at it, I just I hated it. And so every single time I, I was either I would start bleeding so I just knew I just yeah like, no nah, yeah. I'm not pregnant but I always waited for them yeah. to call me because I just think it's I could say less of a head fuck because I've known so many people now each to their own but yeah. I just I know so many people that start testing at like day four or day five and they have a faint line and then they want to line up the test and mm-hmm. see it getting darker and then they worry it's not you know getting darker it's yeah. getting lighter so then they do two tests that day and it to me that's such a head fuck like yeah. I guess people want to be like oh well I want to know that they want that reassurance but I just think to me it's almost worse because it's yeah. like you're getting so hopeful seeing all these and that line is not an indicator of exactly what your hcg levels can be I just think scrap it and like just miss that bit and you know get someone to tell you yes you're pregnant these are your hcg levels this is our next step or unfortunately you're not pregnant this absolutely sucks Mm. your hcg level was zero how do you feel what do you think your next steps are like just take that crap out you know that's just my little two cents on no on, um, I definitely agree I was yeah you know I was you know hitting myself for, for testing early because obviously like you say yeah it was double lines but the HSE level HEG level wasn't evident so my you know euphoria went crashing down very quickly once yeah. you know they started tracking the actual proper data um mm-hmm just pay from a stick so definitely no I will not be going anywhere near a stick and I'm just detaching from from Google Facebook and trying yes. not to like think of every um yeah twinge or anything just trying to just detract um distract myself yeah I always when I um if I was symptom spotting I'd go for a walk mm-hmm. off I went just turn my phone off and I just went for a walk, a long walk and just shut the world off, stop thinking about it and just like, you know, went into nature. That was just my one thing 
Yeah, no, that's so important to get out there, and it's so important to have, you know, something like that. So when you notice, you can, you know, go out, go sit in the park, or go for a walk, or go down the beach, or something, just to kind of detach. I'm, I'm into the um at the moment like mantras or that um fifty times fifty five times five I think it's called, and mm-hmm. like for five days, you write a mantra fifty five times. Okay. Just to get my head into like a positive space. So every time I can feel it drifting off to like doom and gloom, yep. I'll just go back to that mantra. And it's kind of working, which is good. Yep. Um, but we need something. Yeah. So oh, definitely. A walk or a chocolate bar or a mantra or something. You just need yep. to distract yourself. Yeah. I had a um an app called Mindful IVF, which I loved. That oh, was yeah. really helpful. Yeah. And I if I was really down, like thinking, oh, it hasn't worked and you always have that plan B, but I yeah. would, this was my little thing as well. I would write down all of everything I'm grateful in my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, past, present, future, Yeah, everything I'm grateful for in my IVF journey. So the positives mm-hmm. and the, if it, if this doesn't work, it's okay because and I'll just think of as much as, you, of, you know, you don't want to think of that plan B, but I always mm. just felt that little bit of comfort that if it doesn't work, it's okay yeah. and we can do this. I don't know. I think you always just want, you just want to protect yourself and just always have that plan B. You don't want the plan B no. or plan A, <laughs> yeah. but it's just, yeah, I think that as well just kind of got me in that, in that headspace. Yeah. yeah, that stuff's really important. Yeah, I think as well just when you write your list of what you're grateful for, it kind of takes you out of that only thinking of IVF and just kind of, you know, narrowing, sorry, opening your mind and just sort of, you know, as hard as it is, you kind of just look around and you just try and look at that bigger picture, I think, when you're just really down and, you know, thinking things aren't going to go your way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope the next time I talk to you we have you have some good news. Yeah. So all the best uh, for your two-week wait and I hope that when you get that phone call from your nurse it's a good one and things progress. But we will keep in touch and, of course, yeah. we'll follow along on the blog. But, yeah, thank you so much for yes. being on the show this evening. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and so nice to chat and connect. Awesome. Thanks, Lynette.